0: doors after getting saved but this is a main reason why we need to drive demons out of Christians logically then and if an, ev- if an evangelist does not follow Philip's pattern of preaching the gospel and then casting out demons which is what Jesus did which is what Philip did many will believe and be baptized without ever being delivered from demons and this is how Christians live today they've been deli- they've been preached to they've been baptized but they have not been delivered
1: Welcome to another installment of Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the channel that compares what people are saying and doing in the name of God with the Word of God. Big shout out to those of you who are crew members. Uh, You are the ones who make it possible for us to do the work that we're doing. If you'd like to join the fight, uh, then uh, information on how you can join our crew is down below. So today we are going to talk about uh, can Christians or do Christians need to have demons cast out of them? That's the question. Do Christians need to have demons cast out of them? We're going to be listening to Isaiah Saldivar again, and uh, this is going to be a long episode. We're going to actually take a hard biblical look at this in order to really, really unpack this question so that it'll be a resource for people because there's a movie coming out in March, so its we're just a few weeks away from it. It's going to be in thousands of theaters, and you know, it's called come out in the name of Jesus. And it's all about casting out demons from Christians. Again, the question, do Christians need to have demons cast out of them? That's that's our overarching question today. So let's uh, whirl up the desktop and let me start with our web browser today. This is a slide we're going to be looking at here. We're going to talk about kind of the spectrum of oppression, is the best way I can put it. And we'll show you biblically how this works out. But if we were to travel to Isaiah Saldivar's YouTube channel, uh, there's an upcoming movie called uh, "Come Out in 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 Jesus' Name." Come out in Jesus' name, and you know it's got you know false apostle Pagani and a whole lot of uh, kind of the usual suspects, including Greg Locke. And this is not a biblical practice. And I need to kind of make this clear. And that is, I know all about deliverance ministries. I've read Pigs in the Parlor. I've had deliverance done on me when I was in the latter rain movement. And I can tell you definitively, not only is it not biblical, it's quackery. And the it, and I mean this it, the the people who are practicing deliverance need to be brought up on like charges of spiritual malpractice because not only can Christians not be possessed by a demon uh, that uh, that we we're gonna definitively show that Isaiah Saldivar like when he handles biblical texts he twists them in order to make them appear like they support his concept of deliverance when in reality he's just trafficking in an old Old practice from the book pigs in the parlor it's been around for a long time decades I know all about it sought it practice had it practiced on me back in the day when I was in the latter rain movement and it doesn't work because that's not the problem Okay, exorcism, by the way, is absolutely a necessary thing for those who are truly possessed by the devil, and we're going to provide a resource for you uh, that is actually a sound one. If you if if you really think you're dealing with actual demonic oppression and possession, or you know somebody who is, uh, you know, you don't send them to these guys. <laughs> no, these guys are quacks and whackerdoodles, and this is not a biblical practice. Deliverance is not biblical, and we'll explain it as we go. But what we're going to do today is we're going to we're going to interact with a portion of a video that Isaiah Saldivar uh, put out called Can a Christian Be Demon Possessed? And I'm going to point this out right now is that in this video he's going to make the claim that Christians cannot be possessed. But what he's going to engage in is absolute obfuscation and a twisting of biblical vocabulary and biblical text. And we're going to definitively show that as we walk through this. And then along the way, we're going to walk through what does the Bible teach about demonization, um, to be demonized or possessed? What does the word uh, uh, demonizomai mean? We'll take a look at that. We're also going to ask the question, What do we do as Christians when we're struggling with particular sins? One of the reasons why these guys are able to get traction is because as Christians, we still have a sinful nature. Yeah, you know, it's true uh, that we are a new creation in Christ, but the Apostle Paul in Romans seven makes it clear that uh, our sinful flesh is still here until Jesus returns and either resurrects us and gives us a new body, or you know, or until we die. You know, we, and we no longer have the flesh to deal with. And as a result of it, the new person that you are in Christ is in a struggle with the old man, your old sinful flesh. And as a result of it, the normal Christian life is is that you're struggling with particular sins and you know if you're not sure just check the 10 commandments and which one of those are you having a hard time keeping that's the one you're 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 de- you're struggling with and you have to deal with but all that being said let's let isaiah saldivar you know begin the, his argument and we're going to note the techniques that he's using in order to stop people from legitimately opening up the scriptures to test to see if what he is saying is true. These are thought-stopping techniques. I think that's uh, the term that uh, that uh, Stephen Kozar came up with techniques like this. And yes, he's absolutely engaging in thought-stopping techniques.
0: And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what else is going on along the way. So here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the channel. Today we're going to talk about can a Christian have a demon? This is such an important question. When... Now, notice, can a Christian have a demon?
1: What does that mean, to have a demon? So, no, already he's engaging in blurring.
0: Uh, of definitions what does it mean to have a demon it comes to deliverance before we get into this please hit the like button leave a comment it helps us ride the youtube algorithm wave so please make sure you do that i want to answer three specific questions today in this video and that's number one can a christian be demon possessed how could a spirit-filled believer have a demon and then isaiah show me one place in scripture where a christian had a demon so we're going to talk so notice show me a place in scripture where
1: a christian quote had a demon We are blurring definitions already, all right? We're not dealing with actual sound biblical categories.
0: But this. First, I want to talk to you guys about my experiences. I've been doing deliverance now for 10 years, and I've only been doing deliverance on believers. Friend, I'm telling you.
1: All right, now, this is important. He's about to make a case that basically says his experiences trump scripture. That experience is going to dictate what we are to believe as Christians rather than the word of God. I kid you not. Now, before he gets to that, let us let me do this. I'm gonna, I did not cue this particular text up. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to duplicate that tab and we are going to, I need to actually search in my ESV and we're going to look for uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And here's the important text that I want to point out here. The Apostle Paul says, All Scripture, that, that's what we have in the Bible, it is theonoustos, it is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. hmm And so you'll note that Paul here, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says scripture is enough for everything that we need for both doctrine and life and practice. And you'll note that there is not a single biblical text where somebody after Pentecost, who is a true believer in Jesus Christ, is possessed, and I'm using that word on purpose, you'll see this, that is possessed by a demon and therefore has to have a demon cast out of him. In fact, there are no biblical texts that command Christians when dealing with temptations or difficulties or whatever to cast demons out of each other. If scripture is sufficient and it contains everything that we need for teaching, that would be doctrine, and reproof and correction and training in righteousness, and that we may be complete and equipped for every good work, why isn't there a single epistle in the New Testament, that lays out the the need for us to cast demons out of Christians. You'll note that Isaiah Saldivar, by beginning with this argument, is conceding the fact that there are no biblical texts that command Christians to cast out demons from Christians. Nope not a single biblical text that teaches it. So we've got a big problem here because his first move is to attack the sufficiency of scripture. And by the way, this is a similar argument that those in Rome use. Okay, And this is their justification for bringing in you know, doctrines like prayers to the saints, prayers to the Virgin Mary, the perpetual virginity of Mary, the doctrine of purgatory and things like this. Okay this is an argument that is used by those who refuse to abide within the bounds of scripture and i in fact i would give a very stern warning to all of you you go beyond what is written you are in danger. And I mean, gr- dire danger. Scripture makes this clear. And uh, the Apostle John writing to the elect lady, uh, the, the elder, the elect lady, we're not sure who we was, who she was, but here's what we what we know here. And John writes, he says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing some a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. He's talking about the Gnostics. Such a one is the deceiver and is the Antichrist. Now watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So note here, we have a very firm warning in Scripture to not go beyond what is in Scripture to not, you know, and to instead, we need to abide in the teaching, abide in what the scriptures say. Keep that in mind. But watch where Isaiah goes. I'm going to back this up just a little bit.
0: One place in scripture where a Christian had a demon. So we're going to talk about this. First, I want to talk to you guys about my experiences. I've been doing deliverance now for 10 years, and I've only been doing deliverance on believers. Friend, I'm telling you, I've had entire weekends of doing deliverance on just pastors and leaders. This has been for 10 years of doing deliverance on believers. I prayed deliverance over thousands of Christians. And I'm telling you guys this, a person with an argument is never at the mercy of someone with experience. Many people that say... Mm-mm.
1: No, uh, the Bible is sufficient. And, and let me let me give you another, another text here. Since, I mean, this is such bad reasoning. Um, we're going to look for the word Berea. Now, I think it's in Acts 17. Yes, here we go. And uh, let's take a look at what it talks about those in Berea, okay? And let's see, the Apostle Paul goes to Berea, brothers immediately sent Paul to Scythes to Berea. And here's what it says But when the Jews from Thessalonica, all right, well, Paul was waiting, all right, here we go. Uh, yeah, uh, Jewish, anger, now these were. ah, uh, here we go my apologies, got ahead of myself and got, my eyeballs got lost in the text. So here's what it says. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, the Jews of Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Yeah, they were far more noble. Why? Well, the Jews in Thessalonica refused to believe the gospel and persecuted Paul and Silas and, uh, and they had to leave Thessalonica as a result of the threats that they were making and and the the chance that their lives would have been ended by those folks in Thessalonica. so But the the Jews in Berea, they were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, because they received the word with eagerness. And then watch this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Examining the scriptures daily. And so they they would hear the preaching of the apostle Paul. And they would say, this is great. Now, we need to check to see if what you're saying is actually biblical. And they even tested the Apostle Paul. That being the case, you'll note that what Isaiah Saldivar is doing here is engaging in a thought-stopping technique in order to basically say, well, he has experience. Therefore, we really shouldn't test what he's doing against the scriptures. It's a way of keeping you from getting into the Bible to actually examine to see if this is a biblical practice and if he's rightly handling the biblical text. If the Apostle Paul doesn't get a pass and the the church of Berea was commended for examining the scriptures to see if what they were being told by the Apostle Paul was true then Isaiah Saldivar doesn't get a pass. I don't get a pass. Nobody does. Everybody has to be tested according to the word of God. And let's see if he passes the test. But already we're off to a really bad start.
0: Pastors and leaders, this has been for 10 years of doing deliverance on believers. I pray deliverance over thousands of Christians. And I'm telling you guys this, a person with an argument is never at the mercy of someone with experience. Many people that say Christians can't have demons have arguments, have head knowledge, have...
1: Have head knowledge you know, head knowledge because they know how to read their Bibles. Again, thought-stopping technique designed to keep you from actually examining what the Bible says.
0: Ideas but don't have experience. Isaiah, we shouldn't preach based on experience. Friend, the disciples preach on experience. In the New Testament... The disciples
1: wrote down the scriptures under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This was the
0: disciples' experience. The Gospels were the experiences... Eyewitness accounts, sure, yeah. Of the disciples. In fact, when John the Baptist... The apostles just doubted Jesus and sent his disciples to Jesus while he's in prison. Jesus said this, tell him what you've seen and what you have heard. Another: Your experiences do not rise to the level of truth that we are to embrace
1: as doctrine and dogma in the church. Your experiences do not rise to that level. The experiences of the apostles and the historical narratives in the scripture, they do. And so you'll note what he's trying to do is take his experiences and bring them up on par with the experiences of the apostles to basically say, my experiences, they're just as trustworthy as the Bible. No, they are not. In other words, tell him the experience that you
0: guys have had. He didn't say, tell him what this says and tell them
1: what that. By the way, I'm going to show you Isaiah Saldivar casting a demon out of a Christian. Mm-hmm.
0: That says He says, tell him experience. Jesus said in John 10, if you don't believe my words, which they did not believe Jesus is preaching, he said, believe in the miracles, i.e. the experiences that you've had.
1: No, the miracles that Jesus performed, and there was no doubt that Jesus performed miracles, none whatsoever, okay? Your experiences do not rise to the same level as the miracles of Jesus Christ recorded in the Gospels. The hubris of this guy is actually...
0: Unbelievable. Too many people are enlisted in the school of theology, the school of prophecy. Yeah, school of theology. That's a bad thing, you know, because what do they do? They read the Bible. The school of redundancy,
1: but not the school of redundancy. Look, look at all of these ad hominem attacks against those who are rightly handling the word of the truth. school
0: of experience. And when your experience does not match your theology, you need to rethink your theology. When you no, when your experience doesn't match scripture,
1: you need to rethink your experience. God's word is
0: true. Start praying for genuine believers and they manifest demons. You either need to tell them that they're great actors or you need to go back to scripture. And- if, a true, if somebody
1: who is truly a believer, all right, and we'll just kind of throw this as a hypothetical, is later manifesting a demon, I can only come to one of two conclusions. They were a false convert or they're apostate. And I'll show that to you from the scripture as well.
0: And realize that you're missing something. There is overwhelming biblical evidence that Christians can't have demons. No,
1: there isn't. There is no evidence that Christians can, quote, have demons. Because he's playing fast and loose with definitions here. And he's conflating definitions and distinctions.
0: said this, if everything that Jesus did was in scripture, it would take up the entire world. So you have to know that all of the Bible is in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. There are many things.
1: In other words, you have to believe my experiences.
0: And they rise to the same level as the Bible. No, they don't. Things ...according to scripture that Jesus and the disciples did that we just don't read about.
1: So- mm-hmm. y- yet the Apostle Paul, again, let me come back to this text. Uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul makes it clear... Uh, let's read it again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every pun, every single good work. And yet there are no instructions in the, in the Bible to cast demons out of Christians there are instructions about what to do to resist the devil because demons are real. Satan is real. These are not figments of our imagination. And Satan and his demons are a great adversary and a horrible foe. And we are in danger every day of our lives as Christians uh, against their deceptions and their attacks and things like this. So don't think for a second the devil isn't real or that somehow I'm poo-pooing the idea that the devil is a threat and the demons are a threat to the the church and to christians <clears throat> of course they are scripture is very clear but this is quackery this is not a sound biblical approach to dealing with what the scriptures to uh, reveal regarding the demonic threat okay we continue
0: much of what we talk about when it comes to deliverance people say watch this experience yes but you have to understand that experience and revelation will always match up with god's nature and god's will you have
1: that makes no sense. Okay, your experiences do not match up with God's word. Have to
0: remember when Paul talks about wearing armor? When he talks about seducing spirits coming in? When he talks about the believers in Galatians that were going to come under that came under the power of witchcraft? He's writing to spirit-filled believers, not the world. Why would we need armor? Why would we need to be careful? Because there is a real war going on. Yeah, there is. But Christians cannot be indwelt by demons. And we are susceptible to these demonic powers. The first question I wanna go over, and this is a major one, is can a Christian be demon possessed? And the answer is no. Note what he just said there.
1: Can a Christian be demon possessed? He just gave the answer to the question. The answer is no. And that's an important thing because he's not talking about possessions, he's talking about quote, having a demon. But the reality is, is that the way he's defining having a demon is there is no difference between having a demon and being demon-possessed. And that's the, that's the game that he's playing. He refuses to make sound biblical distinctions and to use biblical words properly. And he's about to be embarrassed, and I mean embarrassed here in a second, But let's let him spin this This question.
0: I want to go over and this is a major one is can a Christian be demon possessed? And the answer is no, but here's the problem. This single question is the main reason why millions of believers don't believe Christians can have a demon Although not only is there overwhelming biblical evidence that they can I'm going to show you why I believe deliverance is for the believer Now much of the understanding when it comes to can Christians be possessed has resulted from the King James Version having Now pay attention to this. I want to remind you I have a degree A
1: college degree, university degree in biblical languages. Okay. So, and I've been reading Greek and Hebrew for decades. So, this argument already is off to a bad start. The reason why there's so much confusion is because of the King James Version of the Bible. How many people are reading that thing still? Okay. Few, if any, except for the, like, the, the, you know, the King James Version only crowd, right? Uh, Let me back this up. Listen again. They're overwhelming
0: biblical evidence that they can, I'm going to show you why I believe deliverance is for the believer. Now much of the understanding when it comes to can Christians be possessed has resulted from the King James Version having translated the Greek word (laughs) daimonizomai. can't even pronounce it.
1: Uh, Daimonizomai, okay, daimonizomai is how that is pronounced. And watch what he does with this. He says it's because of the King James Bible, it translates the Greek word daimonizomai. You didn't even spell the
0: transliteration correctly, sir. And uh, and watch what he says. Which is possessed with devils. That's how we translate that Greek word. The problem is that's not the Greek translation. The Greek translation for where we find the word possessed is to be under the power of a demon. There is a vast difference between being owned by demons and by having demons. Friend, listen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now. Here's where he's about to get embarrassed, all right? So we're gonna pull up Accordance here, and I am going to, let's see, I'll just go this direction, and we are going to look for the word, uh, we're gonna look look for a specific word. In fact, let me do this. Uh, We'll just use this one right here, and we're going to look for the word demon, okay? Demon, there we go. And uh, let me just pull that back a little bit, And here we go. In Matthew 15, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Here's the Greek verb, daimonizomai. And look at this. You're not going to believe it. But according to the world's foremost Koine Greek lexicon, here's the definition of the word daimonizomai. Be possessed by a hostile spirit. Mm-hmm. In fact, did a word search in um, in Lagos, and here's the interesting bit: Lagos daimonides amai be possessed by a hostile spirit. Now, Liddell and Scott, let's talk about that one. I, you'll note that uh, the uh, the word daimonides Liddell and Scott is a classical Greek lexicon, not a Koine Greek lexicon, but uh, definition number three is to be possessed by a demon or an evil spirit. Then we just move on. Laonida, to be demon-possessed, uh, you know, then to be demon-possessed, to be demon-possessed, to be demon-possessed, possessed by a demon, all right? Uh, when, when, you, when you look at this, daimonizomai means specifically to be demon-oppressed or possessed. The, there is a distinction, and and we can see this from the symptoms of the victims. But right off the bat, his claim that it's all about the confusion created by the mistranslated word daimonizomai from the King James Bible. It shouldn't be translated possessed by a demon. Why does every single Koine Greek lexicon say that daimonizomai means to be possessed by a demon? this shows you the level of biblical scholarship this guy is capable of. In other words, he's not capable of it at all. He's just believing a false narrative. And a false narrative put out by guys like Bob Larson and others who are practitioners of so-called deliverance. So let, let's just back this up so that you can see, again, This, this he just completely embarrassed himself. Why
0: millions of believers don't believe Christians can have a demon. Although not only is there overwhelming biblical evidence that they can, I'm going to show you why I believe deliverance is for the believer. Now, much of the understanding when it comes to can Christians be possessed has resulted from the King James version having translated the Greek word demonizomai, which is possessed with devils. That's how we translate that Greek word. The problem is that's not the Greek translation. Yes, it is. And I just proved you wrong. Swing and a miss, strike one. The Greek translation for where we find the word possessed is to be under the power of a demon. There is a vast difference between being owned by demons and by having demons. Friend, listen.
1: (laughs) You're making a distinction that the Bible doesn't exactly make, okay? Uh, We've got a big problem here. Where, Where does it talk about Christians, quote, having demons, hmm? it doesn't. Now, coming back to this real quick. So, if we were to take mine," we're going to copy that and what we're going to do is we're going to close uh BDAG, and we're now going to do a word search. We're going to do a word search in um, in the Greek New Testament and we're going to look for the word daimonidesimaim. And we're going to note something here that this is not a word that appears very often in the scriptures. In fact, it doesn't appear anywhere past the Gospel of John. At no point in the New Testament, is the word daimonizomai applied to somebody who is a post-Pentecost Christian? Uh Uh-uh. Daimonizomai, demon possessed, to be demonized like this, does not appear anywhere past the, the Gospel of John. So they've got a problem. They've got a big problem because in the Gospels, the only people this word is applied to are those who are legitimately oppressed or truly possessed by a demon. And they are not, they don't, quote, have a demon. They are possessed by a demon. Let me give you an example, all right? And uh, and when we, well, in fact, let me do this real quick, because I'm, I'm slightly getting ahead of myself, but that's okay. When we look at what the scripture reveals regarding demonic activity, okay, we're, we're going to kind of put things on a spectrum here. You can be tempted by the devil. Think of Adam and Eve. They weren't possessed by Satan when Satan came and said to them, did God really say? And Satan can come along and tempt human beings and tempt Christians without actually being inside of them. Okay. In fact, you'll note that Satan is distinctly outside of them. Think of Jesus. There he is in the wilderness. He hasn't had a meal for 40 days and he's being tempted by the devil. And the devil says, uh, you know, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. You know, Jesus, I know you're hungry. Make these stones into bread, right? Was Jesus possessed by Satan? Nope. Was, did Jesus quote, have a demon No, he was being tempted by the devil. Then you can talk about another level, spiritual oppression. Those who are like being spiritually tormented or mentally, psychologically tormented by an evil spirit. A good example of this is like King Saul, okay? Now in this particular case, that doesn't mean that he was possessed by a demon. Okay, there was no, In fact, there's no indicator that, that, that the King Saul was possessed by a demon, but that he was truly oppressed. Then you can get to something like bodily oppression. Bodily oppression by a demonic entity uh, or by the devil. You think of Job. Job was a man who was made to suffer horribly in his body by what? Satanic oppression. Okay. And then in scripture, there's a there's a woman who has a disease that was brought on by a demon. Now that is not, ha- that is not quote having a demon. That's being oppressed by a demon and a demon bodily inflicting injury or sickness upon you. Possession on the other hand is way different. Okay. Daimonizomai. That is when the demon is inside of the person and basically it taking over that person and using them like a puppet. Okay, uh, the body is controlled by the demon. The human is no longer in control. Exorcism is what is needed uh, when when uh, when this is the case. And here's the thing: there is. Only people who are possessed who experience exorcism. In fact, what Isaiah Saldivar and the so-called demon slayers and Greg Locke and others that are you know, in this movie that's coming up, come out in Jesus' name, uh, they are actually engaging in exorcism, but calling it deliverance to hide what it really is. When in reality, they're, they're practicing exorcism on people that are not possessed by the devil. That are not possessed by demons. As Christians then, you're going to note that we are instructed in Scripture how to deal With these things, demonic temptation, spiritual oppression, bodily oppression, things like this, note that uh, Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. As Christians, we recognize the demonic threat is real. And what are we told to do? Uh, Well, we're to Resist the devil. James puts it a little bit differently. Uh, James uh, talks about uh, what we're supposed to do as it relates to uh, the devil. Hang on a second here. I think it's James 4. James 4. Yeah, let's see here. Yes. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. So we know we have two commands as Christians. What are we to do with the threat of the demonic? Resist the devil. Resist the devil with our faith. Resist the devil. He'll flee from us. Okay. That's what we're instructed to do. Now we'll talk about the other part of this uh, in, 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 in just a little bit about what are we to do with like temptations related to our flesh. Because you'll note that guys like Isaiah Saldivar take sins of the flesh and, att- and attribute them to the demonic which the Bible doesn't do. So already we got some big, and I mean big problems here with Isaiah Saldivar's theology and his uh, and his shenanigans because he's already been caught in a big whopper of a lie. And that is he doesn't even know what the word daimonizomai means. In fact, he denies the actual biblical definition of the word itself. That should be a clue that you're dealing with a false teacher.
0: Possessed is not a biblical principle. It- Yes, it is, and I just proved you wrong, sir. It's not a biblical
1: translation, it is a... Yes, it is, and every single Koine Greek lexicon
0: disagrees with you. Poor translation, and this is not just me. No, it's not a poor translation, it's a good one. Bob Larson, Don Dickerman, Frank Hammond. Bob Larson
1: is a quack. And these other people are not Koine Greek scholars.
0: Derek Prince, Luster, Summerall, they all would agree that this is a poor translation and the translation we should be using is to be under the power of demons. So I want you to
1: (laughs) No, I'm gonna go with what the actual Koine Greek lexicons say, of my means, rather than the quacks that you've just listed. Get the word possessed out of your vocabulary. no, I refuse, because the biblical text use the word daimonizomai, and that's what that word
0: means. I want you to get the word oppressed out of your vocabulary. These are and Nope, I refuse, because again, that's an aspect of daimonizomai. They're not biblical definitions. Yes, they are, and I just proved you wrong, sir. And so we need to remove these. So the proper question is this. Not can a Christian be demon-possessed, but rather can a Christian have a demon or be under the power of demons? Can a Christian
1: have a demon?
0: have That's a biblical way to translate that.
1: No, it isn't. You're wrong. So note, his foundational argument is absolutely scurrilous, false on its face. And I mean, it's embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing. I mean, my every single Koine Greek lexicon, uh, a, a demon possessed, demon possessed, possessed by a demon. Every single one of them maybe we should we should pass the hat around and see if we can uh send him a you know a a copy of logos with some actual greek (laughs) uh
0: resources
1: on there so he doesn't embarrass himself like this in the future
0: and the answer is yes the new testament never makes a distinction between being oppressed or being possessed and neither should we remember jesus never cast demons off of people he always casted demons out of people
1: he only cast the demons out of people who were daemonizami. They, uh, they were literally possessed by a devil, a demon. Now, let's take a look at an example of that, shall we? <laughs> it's just bad arguments. Okay, so uh, Mark chapter five, one of my favorite. All right, so there came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man, uh, met him, uh, met him, he There met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, and he lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains. You're going to note here that he had an unclean spirit, and he's also demonized, okay? No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs, and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So note, they... nobody had the ability to control this guy. He's living in a graveyard among the tombs, naked, cutting himself, and he also had great strength. We learned from the cross-reference that when they tried to bind him with chains, he could break the chains. Okay. All classic signs you're dealing with real, actual possession. Okay, And when Jesus, uh, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You'll note the demons have knowledge that humans just don't have. That's su- supernatural knowledge. I adjure you by God not to torment me, for he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are. Many And he begged him earnestly to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, "'Send us to the pigs, let us enter enter them.' So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out." entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see what was, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw, here we go, daimonizomai, okay. The man who had been demon possessed. Okay. Great example. And you'll note this, you know, this, this thing that I put together here, All right, shows here, okay, he was to the point where his body was in control by demons. He no longer, the human was no longer in control and he needed it to be exercised. And he is described as having an unclean spirit and being daimonizomai, demon possessed. None of those terms are ever described, ever said of a post-Pentecost Christian believer. Nope, not at all. All right, let's go back to Isaiah Saldivar, okay?
0: So when we're talking about deliverance, when we're arguing about this, I want you just to completely forget about possessed and oppressed. They're completely irrelevant.
1: No, I won't. I refuse to, to, to obey you here because I know what the Bible says and I read Greek. I have a degree in biblical languages. They're not biblical translations. All Yes, they are. You're lying, sir. Whether you are doing it intentionally or unintentionally doesn't matter. This is flat-out misinformation. You need to
0: think is being demonized, which is under the power of a demon, which believers, absolutely. People write me, they say, oh, this teacher preaches that de- Christians can't be possessed. This teacher preaches Christians can't be. Forget about the terminology.
1: No, you can't. Because God inspired the words of Scripture to be written, the word I was chosen by the Holy Spirit, and the word itself means demon
0: possessed. And get into theology, and the theology of the Greek word "possessed" is to be demonized, which the Greek word translates to be under the power of a demon. So I don't. No, nope, not a single lexicon agrees. Greek. preach with possession you. or oppression. I preach being demonized. There's no distinction. In the... Which means you're not preaching something based
1: upon sound biblical definitions. You are already failing the test. The New Testament,
0: and that's going to help you with a lot of this arguing with can a Christian be possessed by a demon? Possessed is not a Greek biblical term, okay? Yes, it is. Number two is how can a spirit-filled believer have a demon? Now, there's no verse in the Bible, guys, you have to understand this, that says once you receive salvation, you're automatically delivered. In (laughs) fact,
1: embarrassment number two, all right? Colossians chapter one. I'll start in verse 13. Uh, Sorry, nine. I'll start in nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 1, 10. So, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And here it comes. He, God, he has delivered us from the domain or the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen to what Isaiah Saldivar just said and note what he said contradicts Colossians 1.13
0: possessed is not a Greek biblical term. Okay. Number two is how can a spirit filled believer have a demon? Now there's no verse in the Bible guys. You have to understand this. That says once you receive salvation, you're automatically delivered.
1: Yes, actually he, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That would be Satan's kingdom. What you just said, sir, is contradicted by what the Bible says. Strike two, right? This guy is a false teacher. And he is wicked. And I mean really wicked. He's a fast talker who does not do his homework and does not know his Bible at all. And he twists the biblical text. And his ignorance
0: of what the Bible actually says is stunning. We continue. In fact, if we look at scripture, let's look at Acts 8, we see Philip, which is the only evangelist in scripture who after preaching the gospel, the Bible says to the people, drove the demons out of them. Now. Now, so Acts 8, so Philip, after he
1: preached the gospel, drove demons out of them. And then we, we, so let's take a look at Acts chapter 8 to see if it actually squares with what this guy is saying. How much do you want to bet that it doesn't? All right, so we're going to look for, hang on a second here, I'm going to take a look in the ESV and we're going to go to Acts chapter 8 and let's see Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria All right now those who were scattered went about preaching the word Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw signs that he did for gar in he in, in Greek unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. This doesn't say that he cast demons out of people who already trusted in Christ or had already been baptized. It says that while he was preaching, they paid attention to him for he was casting out unclean spirits. It doesn't say he cast them out After they became Christians, that's strike three, Isaiah, you twisted Acts 8 and he uses Acts 8 as like some kind of a, you know, this is the, this is the pattern that we're supposed to be following, but he just twisted it up. He's making it look like that Philip engaged in deliverance ministry after people became Christians, when the text says they were paying attention to him because he performed miraculous signs and was casting out demons. Big difference altogether. The text doesn't say what Isaiah just said. Let me back it up.
0: Now, there's no verse in the Bible, guys, you have to understand this, that says once you receive salvation, you're automatically delivered. In fact... (laughs) If we look at scripture, let's look at Acts 8, we see Philip, which is the only evangelist in scripture who, after preaching the gospel, the Bible says to the people, drove the demons out of them. Now,
1: Wrong. You are absolutely twisting Acts 8.
0: If you automatically get saved and every demon leaves, then why would Philip spend his time and energy? He didn't.
1: You twisted Acts
0: 8. You were at had three strikes. How many do you get? Casting out demons after he preached the gospel. It's because you don't automatically get delivered once you get saved, that is why. Again,
1: Colossians one thirteen. he has delivered you from the dominion of darkness. It's right there
0: in Colossians 13. Jesus commands us to go drive demons out of people. Many times when believers are being demonized, it's because the demons has been there before they got saved. Now, it's definitely possible to open up doors after getting saved, but this is a main reason why we need to drive demons out of Christians. Logically then, and if, an ev- if an evangelist does not follow Philip's pattern of... You're twisting scripture.
1: You're making Philip have a pattern that's not actually revealed in scripture. In fact, his pattern is not at all what you just said it
0: was. Preaching the gospel and then casting out demons, which is what Jesus did, which is what Philip did. Many will believe and be baptized without ever being delivered from demons. And this is how Christians live today. They've been, they've been preached to, they've been baptized, but they have not been delivered. Deliverance is 100% for the church. Okay.
1: No, it's not. You've twisted everything. And I've factually proven you wrong on every single one of your points. Now, he goes on, and I, I'm not going to cover that here. He goes on to basically say that Christians don't have demons in, in, inside of their bodies or their or their spirits, but that demons can, you know, possess a person in their souls. Here's the thing: there is not a single biblical text says that demons inhabit Christians' souls, or that's or that it, is that is even how demon possession works at all. Okay. No biblical text says it. I'm just pointing it out because it's just annoying. He just makes up something completely out of whole cloth and inserts it into the scripture. It's called eisegesis. So show me, if you think that that demons can inhabit a person's soul, please show me the biblical text that actually says demons inhabit a Christian's soul. You're going to look hard. There ain't no biblical text that says it. Not a single one. On to the next part then, and and here's where I should probably insert uh, a, a couple of things, is that scripture makes it clear that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, and that as the, as our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, we do not have to worry about demons possessing us because our bodies are are it, we are filled with God the Holy Spirit. Now let me see here. Let, what did I do with this Matthew? Here, here we go. First Corinthians. Okay, here's what it says. Flee from sexual immorality, scripture says. Notice it doesn't say if you have a demon of lust to cast it out. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Did you get that? Hmm. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells a Christian's body. And as a result of that, well, we can basically say that our bodies are not empty. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Moving on, okay? Jesus here in in Matthew 12, I'll point out two bits here that I think are important. When a demon-oppressed man Okay, demon-oppressed, daimonizamai, who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus. He healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, well, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, that this man casts out demons, which makes no sense, by the way. Um, Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand, and if Satan casts out Satan... He's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? then indeed he may plunder his house. The strong man here is defined as, is really that's the demon that he's talking about. Okay, so the demon is evicted from his house because Christ bound the strong man and cast him out. Then Jesus goes on to say this, that when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Okay. And then it, then it says, well, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept, empty, empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. But note here, If a person, if a Christian has a demon uh, before they're, before they're a Christian, if somebody who's demonized has a demon cast out of them and then comes to faith in Christ, is their house empty? Nope, not at all. Instead, scripture says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So demons do not come and knock on the door of your of your body and go hey 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 um you know um you, you, can uh, you, uh, you, uh, they they look in the window and go oh yeah the holy spirit's there that you know, the de- the devil has to find an empty house and all Christians are filled with the holy spirit again this is the reason why we are never instructed to cast demons out of Christians Christians are instead instructed to resist the devil with their faith and he will flee from them. Resist the devil, right? So you'll know that Christ makes it clear that in order for a devil to come inside of a human being, the house has got to be empty and all Christians are indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit yeah, that, that devil ain't going to be able to do nothing because <laughs> there ain't no way the devil's going to be stronger than the Holy Spirit. So you know that Isaiah is like so far off track. It's like, like not even funny. All right, let's go on, shall we? Now I'm going to fast forward just a little bit and, uh, and we're going to take a look at other ways in which he twists the scripture just to demonstrate that this guy is a complete hack. All right. We've already proven like him wrong th- three times three times, okay? And we're about to prove him wrong even more than this. The very foundation of his doctrine of deliverance is based upon absolutely false information regarding how the Greek works,
0: right? Okay, the third thing I wanna go over in this video is Isaiah, show me one place in scripture where a Christian had a demon. I, w- I would love to do that. We have to first realize that in Mark one thirty nine, the Bible says that Jesus went from synagogue to synagogue, preaching and casting out demons. So remember, these were religious people Jesus was delivering. Pre-Pentecost,
1: pre-Pentecost, and you're going to note here, biblically, we, there is a distinction between possession and oppression, okay? Even Christians can be bodily oppressed by the demonic. They can even be spiritually oppressed by the demonic. Possessed? Nope. <laughs> They're indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. But prior to Pentecost, were people indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, No, so you'll know there's a big difference. Why is he going back and saying, well, here we have religious people in the synagogue. Okay, yes, now you're gonna note that the devil always sends in false converts weeds among the wheat, okay, that read Matthew chapter 13, if you're not sure what I'm talking about here. So there's always going to be counterfeit people who are pious looking, who are not truly believers or false converts, and they're doing the work of the devil and disrupting the church, okay? And then there's going to be people who are who are believers in the one true God who experience bodily oppression and spiritual oppression, temptations by the devil, but possession? Nope. And the only people who need a, dev, a devil cast out of them are those who are possessed. Those who are bodily oppressed need to have the demon cast away, but they're you know that they don't need to have it cast out of them unless they're possessed as well. So we've got a big problem here. Big big problem what he's
0: doing. And these people and I want to tell you this, had a much higher standard than you and I. They had a much higher a uh, living standard than you and I, and they lived according to the law of Moses which said if you commit adultery you're going to be stoned. So know that the
1: no, Christians are under the same commandments as, as the Jews morally. We're not required to keep the, 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 uh, the, 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 the let's see, the, when we talk about the law of Moses, you talk civil, ceremonial, and moral. We're not required to keep the civil laws, nor are we required to keep the ceremonial laws. Those are all fulfilled by Christ. But the moral law of the Mosaic Covenant is still in effect for Christians. Just because we don't stone adulterers doesn't mean that adultery is okay. Adultery is a sin, okay? Just like it was back in the day. The punishment back then was death.
0: Understand, the people that Jesus was doing deliverance on were not these low-level people. They were not these weak people. These were people that absolutely lived to a high standard of holiness and righteousness according to the law of Moses, and Jesus was doing...
1: That's not an example of somebody post-Pentecost who is a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit needing to have a demon cast out of them. You're playing with a, with a funny deck. You're dealing from the bottom here.
0: Deliverance, you guessed it, in the church, in the modern day church, in the synagogue. He was not just doing it on the street corner. He started his ministry in Mark 1, doing it in the church and continued through. If Jesus had a pattern of ministry...
1: No, 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 no. If Jesus had a pattern of ministry, we have to follow that pattern. Again, where's the biblical text that says Christians need to cast demons out of Christians? Mm-hmm. There isn't, a, there is, that practice is nowhere, uh, nowhere ever, ever, you know, written in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And you're going to note here, he's taking a descriptive text and turning it into a prescription without paying attention to the differences and the nuances between what happened before Pentecost and what happens after.
0: Then I'm not al- eligible or I'm not authorized to change his pattern of ministry. His pattern was doing deliverance in the church. Sounds so pious.
1: But again, you're taking a descriptive ter- text and turning it into a prescri- prescription post Pentecost. Doesn't
0: fit. And it's our call to do deliver it in the church. Okay, Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter, Satan, get behind me because Satan had influence and had entered Peter.
1: Yeah, no, you don't get to do that. Okay, so when we take a look at Matthew 18. Uh, we're going to note something here, and that is, is that uh, the, it, it's, it's, not, it's not Matthew eighteen; it's Matthew sixteen. Doesn't say that Satan entered into Peter. And again, this is pre-Pentecost anyway, uh, but we're going to note here, again, scripture is very clear. You can be demonically tempted without actually being possessed and having a demon inside of you. So what he just did is he inserted something into the biblical text that isn't there. From that time on, it says that Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, from the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter had been tempted by the devil here and was thinking the thoughts of the devil. But you're going to note here, does Jesus cast a demon out of Peter? nope <laughs> and now let me let me do this real quick here I guess Satan and and we're gonna look entered all right Luke 22 3 then Satan entered into Judas okay who either was a false convert never really truly believed or he's an apostate okay? That's that's that, Those are your your two options here, but you're gonna note what did Isaiah Saldivar say about Peter? That is false. He legitimately said that Satan entered into Peter. That's not true at all. Strike four. How many how many more strikes does this guy get? Hang on a second here. Let's
0: watch. Then I'm not al- eligible or I'm not authorized to change his pattern of ministry. His pattern was doing deliverance in the church, and it's our call. Did you deliverance in the church? Okay, Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter, Satan, get behind me because Satan had influence and had entered Peter. and Peter being a.
1: No, he didn't. Satan did not enter Peter. You just inserted that into the text. False. Why didn't Jesus cast the demon out of Peter then? Hmm? Clearly, he fell into a satanic or demonic temptation. But that doesn't mean that he was possessed or had a demon inside of him. You just, add, you just added to the biblical text by saying that a, a demon had entered into Peter.
0: Believer, that's in Matthew 16. John 13, the Bible says that Satan entered Judas. Another
1: Yeah, that's true. Again, that's absolutely true. Resulted in the murder of Jesus Christ, him being crucified. But that doesn't mean that he was a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. You'll note that it, over and again, the scriptures describe Judas as, as a guy who was constantly stealing from their money bag. I mean, the guy was a thief the entire time. He wasn't a penitent, true believer in Jesus Christ. How, does, how can you make that claim when he so willingly handed Christ over to the Jews to be what? Crucified, Right. So, yeah, again, this, this when it talks about that, uh, that about Judas, again, it's not describing a post-Pentecost Christian. And he either is a false convert or an apostate. We continue. A
0: Christian, another believer, another follower of Jesus. Now, some of you right now in the comments, you're going to say, Isaiah, okay, you gave us two definitions. You gave us Peter. You gave us Judas. But what about after they received the Holy Spirit? What about in the book of Acts? There's no believers in the book of Acts that had a demon. Wrong. Let's go to Acts 4.36. Joseph, the Bible says, a, Levi, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So in Acts 4, the, the disciples are starting to sell their property and put their property at the feet of the disciples. Now, in Acts 5, the Bible says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. So we have two people. We have uh, Joseph sells a piece of property, lays all the money at the feet of the, of the apostles, and now we have Ananias and Sapphira in chapter five, who the Bible says also sold a piece of property. And the Bible says Ananias with his wife's full knowledge, okay, kept part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet. But Peter said, now here's where I want you guys to pay very close attention. Acts five. This is new Testament book of acts. Someone being demonized. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy spirit and keep back part of the price of land. So now, yeah. All right. So why has Satan so filled your heart? See, he was demonized.
1: The text doesn't say that. Doesn't say he was demonized. So, here's the text, okay? And it says, "But Peter said, "Ananias, why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back from yourself part of the proceeds of the land?" Now, the question is, it has Ananias been possessed, cuz he just said he was demonized. But demonized means to be possessed. We already demonstrated that from the scripture. Okay, Or did Ananias give in to a demonic temptation, a satanic temptation? That's exactly what is being referred to here. Because you're going to note, if Anani- Ananias was legitimately I possessed by a demon, then Peter should have cast the demon out of him. Right? Because the demon was the one in control, not Ananias. But you'll note, you're still, you're still morally culpable when you're tempted by the devil. You're still morally culpable and responsible for your decisions and your actions, even when you're being spiritually oppressed by the devil or bodily oppressed. But when you're possessed, you no longer have any, any control of what's happening to you. Okay. And you're going to note here the, the proper thing to do when somebody is Daimonizomai is to cast the demon out of them and set them free. But here's the thing Ananias was morally responsible for the decisions he made because he didn't make those decisions while being possessed. He made those decisions while being tempted by the devil. And as a result of it, he suffers consequences. So here's what it says. So why has Satan so filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? Okay. Huh. Notice he doesn't say that this deed was contrived in the devil's heart. It was contrived in whose heart? Ananias's, which means he gave into a demonic temptation that he wasn't daimonizomai. He wasn't under, he wasn't possessed by a demon. You have, you have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. He was morally responsible for what happened because even though he was tempted by the devil he he gave in to the temptation and as a result of it he was made an example of and rather than being set free delivered from a demon he he suffered the ultimate consequence he died god killed him okay and it would have been wrong for god to kill him if he was demonized right so this kind of gets to our last our last bit And uh, the the, kind of the big point I want to make here, and that is, is that if actually, hang on to this. I'll show you this in a minute. Here is Isaiah Saldivar engaging in Zoom deliverance. Okay, and uh, here's a fellow who. He claims that, he's, that he is under the influence of demons. And let's pay close attention to what happens while Isaiah Saldivar is performing so-called deliverance on this fellow. And you're going to note that what he's really doing is, is practicing exorcism. But the problem is, is that the patient doesn't have, he isn't possessed by a demon yeah yeah
0: instead he's suffering from something a lot more common than that let's let's explain well we're gonna pray so right now in jesus name we bind every unclean spirit
1: notice he said we're gonna pray he's is he praying at all isaiah isn't praying is he nope
0: we bind every unclean power satan you have no power we bind you right now in jesus name i bind every demon and every spirit that is dwelling in anthony you are bound he is not your home he is a temple of God. And so right now, we command you to come up through his throat. And
1: Anthony claims that he is a Christian. Now, listen carefully to what, what he's doing next here. And this is important. Any familiar with how hypnotism works? Okay. Uh, part of what, what hypnotism is, is that they, they implant in your mind the expectation of what is supposed, you're supposed to do once you know, the, the thing happens and, and you, you go into the trance or whatever and you're hypnotized. All of that is to get you to do a particular thing. You're going to note that Isaiah Saldivar is going to engage in that same technique with this fellow. Which means I think he's susceptible to this type of mental influence. The way certain people are, are can be hypnotized really easily; others cannot. This isn't a demon, by the way. You'll you'll see why in a minute. Let me back this up, and you'll see what I'm
0: talking about. He is dwelling in Anthony? You are bound. He is not your home. He is a temple of God, and so right now we command you to come up through his throat and out of his mouth. Right. I, we command you, come up through his throat and out of his mouth. That's, he
1: set the expectation for what's supposed to happen next.
0: Right now, and to go into the abyss. Now, we command you to go out of his mouth into the abyss. Now, leave him in Jesus' name. Leave him in Jesus' name. Go. Go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. I command every spirit to leave him right now. Every spirit, leave him right now in Jesus' name. Go. Out out in Jesus name out in Jesus name there it is go all of it go every spirit go every spirit of perversion every spirit of what perversion
1: let me back this up a little listen to, listen to the list. go
0: every spirit go every spirit of perversion every spirit of lust leave him now
1: spirit of perversion spirit of lust you know what Anthony's suffering from it ain't demons Nope, it's something a lot more organic than that. And here's the big problem, is that Christians, we struggle with all kinds of sins, but we need to recognize their true origin. And Paul says in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit. This is conduct your life according to the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And here the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So what Anthony and so many other Christians are struggling with is not the demonic, What they're struggling with is their sinful flesh. And there is no such thing as a spirit of perversion and a spirit of lust and all these kinds of things. Those aren't brought on by the demonic. They may be tempted by the demonic, but at the end of the day, this all burbles right up from your old sinful nature. Yep. In fact, that's kind of what the apostle Paul was getting at in Romans chapter seven and eight. When Paul in Romans seven talks about the things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do. I keep on doing who will rescue me from this body of death. But then Paul goes on to write in Romans eight, listen to this. So brothers, we're not debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if, you, if by the Spirit, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, who indwells you, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I get asked frequently, what does that mean? How does one put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? It's real simple, actually praying. So Jesus taught us to pray daily, a prayer that goes like this, okay? Um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the part where we recognize this is a daily prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And listen to this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, that's that's a great example of, well, praying to God to give us strength to not give in to the temptations of the devil. But what about our sinful flesh? It's real simple. You ask God, the Holy Spirit, and you say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that your scripture reveals that you have bled and died for the very sins that I am struggling with right now. And these sins that come up from my own sinful flesh, I see from Romans 7, the Apostle Paul says he doesn't understand his, his how he does these, these things because the things he wants to do, he doesn't do. The things he doesn't want to do, he keeps on doing. That is me right now struggling right now against this sin or that sin or the other sin. Right? And so what do you do? You say, you come to Romans 8 and he says, it says in Romans 8 that by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can put to death the deeds of the body and my own sinful flesh. And so I ask you this day, Holy Spirit, whom I know dwells within me, because the scripture says that all Christians, their bodies are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. That I ask you, Holy Spirit, to give me the strength to put to death the deeds of my sinful flesh. Give me that strength today. And you know what? He hears that prayer and he answers it. And the next day, you're going to have to pray the same thing. Please give me the strength to mortify my sinful flesh so that I may do the things that please you, God. Into your hands, I commit myself, my body, my soul, all things. Let your holy angel be with me that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Prayers like this. And you'll note, we're asking, we're not commanding, we're not decreeing. Now, real point, one last point here, and that is, is that you're going to note that what Isaiah Saldivar is really doing is exorcism, but he's doing it on people he's misdiagnosed, and that's the problem, okay? He's doing exorcism, come out, come out, come out, right? But scripture you know, is, is, um, is very clear, very clear the christians are indwelt by the holy spirit you do not have a demon you have a sinful flesh <laughs> which is easily swayed by the demonic now if if you're if you're concerned about actual actual demonic activity actual demon possession. I would note, this is a great video. We'll put a link to it down below. Exorcisms, the world's leading psychiatric authority speaks out. Uh, Dr. Sean McDowell did a really good video, and this is a good interview, to kind of introduce you to the real demonic and how it is really addressed by people who actually know what they're doing okay? Isaiah Saldivar is a false teacher. We've demonstrated that he's twisted God's word all over the place, doesn't even know how to properly pronounce daimonizomai, and he definitely doesn't have a proper definition of it. His entire theological house is built on a false foundation. And here's the thing, he's not alone because that movie, Come Out in Jesus' Name, is coming out in March, and it's all about casting out demons out of Christians the entire house is built of cards. And I've seen this stuff before firsthand. And this was a wave that went through evangelicalism like a fad, you know, back, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s with Bob Larson. And it's all a scam. It's all false doctrine. And here's the thing: you can cast out a demon, the lust all you want out of a person, because it ain't there. And you know what's going to happen to the person who had that demon of lust cast out of them? Because it wasn't really cast out of him they're going to still struggle with lust and perversion the day after because this isn't the solution. The solution to dealing with the sins of the flesh is by the power of the Holy Spirit putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You can't do it in your own strength. You can only do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully you found this video to be helpful. I know it was a little bit long. Yeah, I went a little bit long. But all of that being said, all the information on how you can share the video is down below. And if you would like to join the fight, you can do so by, uh, by joining our crew. Information on how you can join the crew is down below. And until next time, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins, amen.